Greetings, my peeps, and welcome to the All Things Basketball Podcast with your boy GD. In this episode, I'll be doing my All-Star Weekend recap, tell you all that went on there, my opinion about some of the events, and so forth. Also, other news as well, guys. Kobe's statue, that goes up. Shaq Jersey is retired. And some more news as well. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, guys, it's your boy GD back with the All Things Basketball with GD podcast. And I'm going to do a week 16 recap, but it's actually going to spill into week 17. And, of course, All-Star Weekend... Yeah, it's come and gone, guys, so we will talk all about it in this episode. And there's a lot of news on top of that, so let us not delay any further. Let's get right into it. As always, we start with the players of the week. We'll start with the West. Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. His team went 4-0 for the week. They beat the likes of Philly, and then from there, they... One at Brooklyn, and then they won at Madison Square Garden against my Knicks. And then they got home and beat Oklahoma City Thunder. So, Luka for the week, 31.3 points per game, 10.5 rebounds, 8 assists, and 1.7 steals for the week. He shot it from the field, 51.2%, over 44% from three. And free throws, not so great. Out of 35, he missed 11 of them, so he could always do better in that regard. But Luka Doncic, playing well for his Mavericks, and he gets player of the week. For the East, the same guy who got player of the month, Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers. They went 4-0 for the week. They beat the likes of the Sacramento Kings. They won at Washington. They won at Brooklyn, and they won at Toronto. Donovan scoring almost 28 points per game with five assists and nearly five rebounds also. He averaged two steals per game and a block per game as well. Shooting it from the field, 54%, which you like from him, and nearly 46% from three. And guys, he was perfect from the free throw line, sinking all 14 for the week. So, guys, that is your Players of the Week. Let us move on and talk about All-Star Weekend. Let's get right into it. So, we'll start off with Friday. Friday, as you know, you have two events. The Celebrity Game, which I actually ended up watching. I usually don't bother, but since the fact that Unk was on there, Shannon Sharp, he was coaching one team, Stephen A. the other. I said, let me tune in watched and you know Stephen A he's gotta do this and do that prove that he's this maverick coach sort of speak and Shannon he just chilled and did his thing him and 50 cent and they ended up winning so all that preparation Stephen A did Shannon team ended up winning all he did was send Michael Parsons out there to run over people but Shannon his teams end up winning so got to see that and then afterwards, of course, is the Rising Stars. 
that tournament there, and you had the four teams going at it, because the way they do it, it's a team of four, seven guys for each team, and they're drafted amongst the corresponding coaches. You had Team Jalen, which featured guys like Ben Mafferin, Chet Holmgren was on there, his teammate Jalen Williams as well, and they played the first game versus Team Tamika, Tamika Catchings, being that she's a longtime Indiana Fever player. And she coached guys like Jaden Ivey, who, oh, by the way, she played with Jaden Ivey's mom in the WNBA. So you have that affiliation there. Also on that team, guys like Paolo Boncaro was on there as well. That team played, and Team Jalen ends up coming out on top in that one. The star of that series was Ben Mafferin, who had a very good game versus Team Tamika. And then you had the following game, Team Powell, which had the rookie sensation, Victor Wimbayama, as well as Brandon Miller of the Hornets was on there. Surprise rookie Jamie Jacquez Jr., he was on that squad as well. And they took on Team Detlef, a team that was all G-Leaguers guys, including the dunking extraordinaire Matt McClung and also guy like Amani Bates, who's done time with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but he's in the G League right now. And then Team Detlef, surprisingly so, beats Team Powell, which advances them to the final game versus Team Jalen. And then when all is said and done, Team Jalen gets the win, guys. And then the MVP of the tournament here was Ben Mafferin. So you have the Indiana flavor there, being that the game is in Indiana, obviously. So that is your Friday night, guys. Then we move on to Saturday. Of course, they had their HBCU Classic, where you had the two colleges there. Virginia Union versus Winston-Salem State, a team that was once coached by the great Clarence Big House Gaines, and of course their second most famous alum, Stephen A. Smith, first one being Earl Monroe. So you had that game first, and then of course in the evening you had the All-Star Saturday night with all the skill events. Starting with the Skills Challenge, which had Team Indiana, consisting of Tyrese Hollyburton, Ben Mafferin, and Miles Turner. Team All-Stars featuring Trey Young, Tyrese Maxey, and Scotty Barnes. And then Team Top Picks with Anthony Edwards, Paolo Boncaro, and Victor Wimbayama. So they have them compete in three separate competitions, and then they have the final one where you know you shoot it out whoever makes the long distance three they end up winning when all is said and done team indiana gets the victory in the skills challenge so you have indiana once again prevailing this time team indiana gets the win here so that is one event in the books then we have the three-point shootout three-point shootout consisted of the winner from last year, Damian Lillard, his teammate in Milwaukee, Malik Beasley, also Jalen Brunson of my New York Knicks, Tyrese Hollyburton, 
who just competed in the Skills Challenge for Indiana. Laurie Marketing of the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Carl Anthony Towns, Minnesota Timberwolves. And Trey Young of the Atlanta Hawks, who also competed in the Skills Challenge. And after that first round, you had four guys tied with 26 points, which led to a 30-second shootout. One person would have to be dropped from there. The guys who had the 26, Dame, Holly Burton, Cat, and Trey Young. When all was said and done, Tyrese Holly Burton, he ends up with the lowest score in the 30-second shootout. So the... Finals consisted of Dame, Carl Anthony Towns, and Trey Young. It came down to Dame putting away the two challengers and becoming the first back to back three point shootout champ since Jason Capono, who did it in 2007 2008. So you're talking about some years ago, guys. So Dame ends up winning. Then we move on to. One of the premier events, which was Sabrina Nescu versus Steph Curry. The one-on-one three-point contest between them. Which happened basically after last year when Sabrina Nescu set the WNBA record by sinking 25 of 27 shots. You know, the whole world was buzzing when she did that. So much so that Steph says... Man, I got to challenge her one of these days. She took him up on the challenge, and then he got caught on the mic talking to one of his rookies on the team about it. And lo and behold, the NBA said, you know what? Let's add this to the mix for Saturday night, and they did so. Now, in this contest, Sabrina, she could have shot from her line. She chose to shoot from the NBA three-point line. So you got to give her tremendous credit for wanting to shoot from there. And I'm sure in her mind, she thought that, you know what? If I shoot it from my line, I know I'll hear it from the critics, from the social media knuckle draggers, from the guys locked away in their grandma basement. So let me shoot from this NBA three-point line, which she did. Using a WNBA ball, which, oh, by the way, is just an inch smaller than the NBA ball. So people make it sound like she's shooting with a volleyball for Pete's sakes. It's still a good size ball, just an inch shorter than the regulation ball. So she goes first and she ends up with a score of 26, which, oh, by the way, Damian Lillard won with that same score to win the three-point shootout between the contestants there. So Sabrina gets a 26. Outstanding performance, I must say. So that left Steph Curry. Steph Curry goes up there. He has you kind of nervous because he has that money rack at the end, and he proceeds to knock down four of the five money balls and ends up winning 29 to Sabrina's 26. So, Steph ends up winning, and Steph is, I don't think we can make any mistake about it, guys. He is the best long-range shooter the game has ever seen, and he ends up winning. But Sabrina took the man to the limits, that's for sure. 
She definitely did that, so kudos to her. And then, of course, there's the controversy that went on after. A lot of people are all buzzed about Kenny Smith going off the rails. Mind you, when it started, he was like Team Sabrina rooting for her. Then when she lost, then it's like, oh, she should have shot from the WNBA line instead of the NBA line. And Reggie had to school him and say she chose to do that. It was her choice. And he said, doesn't matter, muscle memory, this, that, and then the third. And then Reggie started teasing him, talk about he want to put boundaries on her. And then he said, I bet you want to go back to playing with dolls. Because prior to that, Sabrina's story is that she wanted to play basketball with the guys. But the coach said, you know, she used to be somewhere playing with dolls. So Reggie says that to Kenny Smith. And he says, yeah, she should play with dolls. Bad move. All the heat has come down on him, on Twitter, on IG, everywhere. And then he goes and tries to explain it away on Stephen A. Smith's show. Then he's talking about darts and all kind of stuff. And I'm like, bro, just either you're going to stand 10 toes of what you said or just issue a full apology. Don't do this teetering thing. And that's the whole thing. She would be damned if she shot it from the WNBA line. But she went to the NBA line and she's still getting shamed about it. She can hold her head up so high coming out of this. And for that commentary to kind of soil it was a bad look. Not a good look. And kudos to Reggie Miller for kind of trying to set him straight there. Because, you know, Reggie Miller, he comes from a family where, oh, by the way, his sister was one of the greatest to ever lace him up, Cheryl Miller. So Reggie knows what's good. So kudos to Reggie. But Kenny, yeah, sometimes you, you run your mouth too much and these sort of things happen to you. But I'll leave that alone there. So Steph ends up winning that. Then we move on to the dunk contest. You know, guys... Oh, let me just tell you who was in it. Matt McClung, who won it last year, the G League kid. Jamie Jaquez Jr. from the Miami Heat. Jalen Brown, all-star, by the way, from the Boston Celtics. And Jacob Toppin, the brother of Obi Toppin, who now plays with the Knicks. Your judges were Dominique Wilkins. Seems like every year he's a judge, go figure. The Glove, Gary Payton. Mitch Richmond as well. Fred Jones. I had to, like, who's Fred Jones? But he actually won it back in 2004, I want to say, with the Indiana Pacers. I did not realize this. And then Darnell Hillman, a Indiana Pacer from the ABA days. He was one of those guys with the big afros, but the man could ball, that's for sure. So that was your five judges. Now, in terms of the contest, let me just say, and I actually went back to listen to what I said about it last year, and I'm probably on the same vein this year. I think we come to a point where the slam dunk contest, you might have to put it to rest. We're at a point now where the creativity, I mean, it's there, but it's like we've seen just about everything by now. 
And first of all, you're not getting star players to do it. You're not getting known names to do it. If you look here, it's basically two G League guys. If you want to say Jacob Toppin, he's a G League guy who happens to come up and be with the Knicks because they're shorthanded. You got a rookie in Jockass. And you have an all-star. I was surprised Jalen jumped in this, but he did. And, you know, looking at the dunks and then Jalen, oh my gosh. He calls himself reliving the D. Brown, the one where he pumps up his Reebok and then he does it with his eyes covered. The only problem is he covered his eyes after the dunk. He got booed by everyone in the building. And they still gave him a good score on top of that. Unbelievable. In my opinion, I think in the judge's mind, I don't know if they were mandated or not, I don't know. But I guess in their mind it was, we got to have this G League kid go against a named guy. Jacob Toppin, who I thought had a fine performance, to me he got robbed. He got robbed for the bigger name in Jalen Brown. Uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So, you have the final round between McClung and Jalen Brown. And then McClung, of course. And mind you, he had four dunks. Three of the four, he jumped over people. But, in the end, he gets the win. So, Matt McClung, he becomes a back-to-back -back winner. But, I'm of the mindset... You know what? I think we need to put the kibosh on the slam dunk contests. What do you replace it with? I don't know. Maybe they've been talking about, as well as Sabrina's doing with the three-point contest, they said maybe bring her and Caitlin Clark, mind you, if Caitlin Clark declares, of course, to come to the WNBA, have them two against Dame and Steph or something like that. Who knows? We'll see what happens. So, with that said, let's talk about the main game, guys. Let me start with the final score first before I say anything else. The final score ends up being the East 211. That's right, I said 211 to the West is 186. So, guys, you're talking about a combined 397 points that was scored. I get it. I understand, you know, we're in a different day and age now. But in all honesty, guys, this is not good. I've heard all the talking heads talk about it. Of course, Stephen A calls it an atrocity. My guys, the odd couple, they call it a disaster. My other guys on Give and Go, they talked about it as well. Then you have the players who, you know, they were asked, what can they do to change up things where guys actually compete? Guys like LeBron pretty much threw up their hands. They didn't know what to do. And then Anthony Edwards. First of all, he kind of fumbled the ball this whole weekend by saying he's going to shoot with his left hand and so forth. Here's why I want to say to Anthony Edwards. You got next, basically. LeBron's on, you know, it won't be long before he's on his way out. Steph, not long before he's on his way out. Kevin Durant, not long before he's on his way out. So you guys are next. So you got to take things serious. To come and say you're only shooting with your left hand 
what are we doing here? And it showed because you had not such a great game. And you see guys like Shea Gilkis Alexander, they came looking to kick butt and take names. But you kind of, you know, not being serious about it. And even when they asked you about it, like, oh, no one takes this serious. So where do we place the blame for this? Oh, before I go any further, let me just say, so I gave you the score. At halftime, it was the East 104 to the West's 89, which is another record. And your MVP, though with much debate, Damian Lillard, who scores 39 points. He knocked down 11 threes in this game, guys, including two from half court. Good gracious. It was like he was just pulling up normal. Along with six assists, three rebounds. Therese Hollyburton, fine game. And a lot of people thought he should have won it. 32 points for him. He knocked down 10 threes himself. Seven rebounds, six assists for him. And then you have other guys. Jalen Brown, who I guess he said, I got to redeem myself from the Saturday night debacle. 36 points for him. He hit six threes in this game, eight rebounds, three assists. Giannis had 23. Tatum had 20 for the East. For the West, Carl Anthony Towns. He's like the king of these crazy high point games where he loses. 50 points he scores. Mind you, he scored 31 in the fourth quarter. And then I saw the one dunk he tried. He couldn't, well, he was trying to do it between his legs and he couldn't do it. The man took 35 shots. Wow. Eight rebounds, three assists for him. So he led the way for the West. Shy Gilkis Alexander, I said he came to take care of business. 31 points for him. He dropped seven threes, which normally isn't in his wheelhouse. SGA showing up. Six assists. Four rebounds. Then you got Katie with 18. Steph, he had 16. LeBron, in limited time, only eight points for him. Entering the home stretch for LeBron as far as All-Star games goes. My guy, Jalen Brunson, 12 points. Five assists, four rebounds. But, guys, how do we fix this? Oh, by the way. In terms of free throws, the East only attempted four free throws for the whole game in May 3. So of the 211 points, only three points were from the free throw line. Think about that, guys. And then for the West, they only went once and made that. So again, I come back to what do we do about this? We know in the past... The mantra was always the first half is for the fans, shoring it up a little bit, try to be competitive, and then the fourth quarter, especially if it's a close one, you're going all out. So that's always been the mantra, but it seems it's changed over the years. And then you have what you have this past Sunday. How do you fix the All-Star game? I saw this online and... I think I heard my guys, Rick Kamla and Antonio Daniels, talk about it as well. I think they should take a page out of the Rising Stars. 
Because remember, the Rising Stars initially was the rookies against the second-year players. It was rookie sophomores. And then they changed that up and made it USA versus the world. Then they changed it up where it was a mix of rookies and sophomores. And I think it was a draft as well. To now this iteration where you have the four teams, seven guys to a team, and you have somebody coaching them. So I think, you know, a lot of people, tradition and everything else, but you know something? The NFL scrapped their whole Pro Bowl idea, and now it's flag football. So I think the NBA, you have to just say, you know, we have a long history of all-star competition and so forth, but we have to change it. We have to change it to make it competitive. From what I hear, Adam Silva has no desire to expand the rosters, which is insane to me. I'll, I'll say it again. You have 30 teams. There should be 15 and 15 on each side. I don't understand how that's not even in the realm of possibility, but I digress. But if you were to take the Rising Stars model, then that would give you four teams, seven guys. You're only expanding it to two extra players. I don't see why Adam Silver won't sign off on that. And then amongst the pool of players, I say don't even get NBA coaches to coach them. Get these old-timers, guys who've already played in the league and so forth, You get them to coach these guys. And if you do that, you won't have the debacle of having Doc Rivers, who was on his couch about a few weeks ago, to coach an All-Star game. Oh, by the way, I was talking to, of course, friend of the show, my guy D, and I told him that, oh, this All-Star game fitted Doc Rivers perfectly because his teams don't play defense anyway. Had a little chuckle about that. But you now eliminate the NBA coaches being involved, and you just use, like, let's say it was in Indiana. You could use Larry Bird to coach one team, Reggie Miller to coach another team, although he's commentating, so I guess you can't do that. Isaiah Thomas to coach one team, and then you get a couple other people. I think that's the fix, since you have it for the Rising Stars, I think that's the fix that would work. So, Adam Silva, get off your high horse and allow this to take place. Otherwise, I mean, if it's still 12 and 12, you can still do it. It's just be six players for each squad, and then you play to a certain amount, like the first one to 50 points. And then in the final game, the first one to 30 points, maybe. So, Adam Silver, I'm giving these ideas here. If you do do it, make sure you give me credit. That's all I'm going to say on that, guys. All right, so that's all your all-star stuff. Let's talk some news, guys. Try and swing around this as quick as I can. All right, so we'll start with the Lakers. The Lakers unveiled the first of three statues honoring Kobe Bryant. They had a whole ceremony and everything. Everything was beautiful. And that took place on February 8th. Of course, the date marks the number for Gigi's jersey as well as the number for Kobe Bryant's jerseys. 
Mind you, he played under two different numbers, 8 and 24, and then GG with 2. The date has significance in that regard. So that's the first of three that they're going to unveil, guys. Of course, kudos to the Lakers organization. Of course, this pretty much was a fait accompli. You knew they were going to do this down the line. So this is the first of three, guys. And it'll be right outside of the crypto arena over there in L.A. So that's one bit of news. Then you have Shaquille O'Neal. He has his number 32 jersey retired by the Orlando Magic. And guys, he's the first Orlando Magic to have their jersey retired and raised to the Raptors. So Shaquille O'Neal, this is what he did as a Orlando Magic player. He played there just four years. Seemed like it was longer than that, guys. He averaged over 27 points per game. 12 and a half rebounds, 2.4 assists, and nearly three blocks per game for him. Shot it from the field, over 58%. Free throw line, you know that was his Achilles heel, only 54.6%. He won a rookie of the year. He was a four-time All-Star, so every year he was there, he was an All-Star. Three times All-NBA. He made the playoffs three times. And of those three times, he got to the first round in his first appearance, then got swept out by the Indiana Pacers. That next year, they make it all the way to the finals, but then get swept out by the Houston Rockets. And then his following season, he makes it all the way to the conference finals, but he loses to Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. He gets swept out again. That's on Shaq's resume as far as him being Orlando Magic. Some people say, oh, it's ridiculous that they retired his jersey. I uh, heard Mad Dog Russo talk about it and kind of rail against it, being that, you know, he only played there four years. I mean, the argument can be made that he's the best player to don a Orlando Magic jersey, and he himself. He said he was the most impressed by the fact that he's getting his jersey retired in Orlando. He knew what would happen in L.A. He had a feeling about Miami retiring it, but he wasn't so sure about Orlando, so he was impressed by this. So Shaq's jersey gets retired, which leads us to ask, who's next in terms of Orlando Magic jerseys being retired? I could think of three people. Penny Hardaway. Dwight Howard, and Tracy McGrady. Of the three, Dwight Howard had the longest tenure, eight years, and I would say Dwight Howard, amongst these three, is the most accomplished. He was a six-time All-Star, three times Defensive Player of the Year, five times All-Defense, six times All-NBA. So Dwight Howard, I would imagine, would be a person who would get their jersey retired. Penny, I think, possibly could as well. He spent six years there. Most of those times overlap with Shaquille O'Neal's time there. Four-time All-Star, three times All-NBA. Two of those times, first-teamer. So Penny, I think, could possibly get his jersey retired. And then there's Tracy McGrady, who spent four years there. 
four-time All-Star, so he made it every year. Two-time scoring champ while wearing a Orlando Magic jersey. He was most improved player his first season there. And the only blemish on his stay there is the fact that the three years they made the playoffs, they never made it past the first round. Three times in the playoffs, three times being bounced out in the first round. So it's possible he gets his jersey retired as well. So we'll see what happens in that regard. All right, guys, so let us move on. LeBron James, he vetoes a trade to Golden State. I guess Golden State called up, offered a package for LeBron. LeBron has veto power, of course, and he vetoes the deal. I don't know what was involved in it as far as players being on the move to L.A., I have no idea. If I had to venture to guess, I would think Kaminga would probably have been one of them. So LeBron nixes a deal to go there and join Steph Curry, who he has in the past kind of alluded to the fact that it'd be pretty cool for him and Steph to be teammates. But, well, you know, too, LeBron has a lot going on in L.A. right now. You got Bronny at USC. And you got the kids there. They're in their prospective schools. So to kind of uproot and go to Golden State, even if it's just him going, would definitely be a change in his household in that regard. So he stays. And supposedly within that, the Lakers promise to consider drafting Bronny James. Let's say Bronny James left after his first year which I think would be absolutely insane if he did that. Right now, he's a bench player for them. It's not like he's getting burned like that. I would be stunned if he left after first year. There's much more of his game to be developed, and I think that development happens in college, not in the pros. So that's my take on that. And, oh, by the way, the Lakers are 8-1 and since that cryptic hourglass emoji that he sent out a little bit before the trade deadline. Seems like the Lakers are trying to ride tournament position right now, but they're trying to rise themselves up in the standings, which makes for an interesting run down the stretch for them. Moving on, Victor Wimbayama. He has a rare triple-double in a road win against the Toronto Raptors in a game that they won 122-99. to That took place February 12th. And in that game, guys, Wimby goes 27 points, shot it great from the field, 10 of 14, 2 of 4 from 3, 5 of 6 from the free throw line, 14 rebounds, and then 10 block shots, guys. And throwing with that five assists and two steals. Phenomenal game from Wimby. And that just gives you a glimpse of what he can be in this league. Alright, so moving on. My New York Knicks robbed in the state of Texas. In a game against the Houston Rockets, the Knicks lose a heartbreaker. 105-103. to But get this, guys. They lose on a foul call on Jalen Brunson. He fouls Aaron Holiday. And this happens with less than a second to go on the shot clock in the fourth quarter. 
and the foul was called by referee Jocelyn Goble, who has a checkered record in terms of bad calls. He's had another one just this season. I believe that was in a Laker game. And this is a game where the Knicks trailed at halftime by 14. They clawed their way back, made a game of it, and then to lose in such a horrendous fashion. Everybody was up in arms about it, myself included. And then the head ref of that game, Ed Malloy, he would later admit that a foul shouldn't have been called in that game. And then, you know, the two-minute rule came out, which pretty much corroborated what Malloy said. The Knicks filed a protest with the league over that game, which we know most, if not all, protests goes on deaf ears. In fact, we haven't had one upheld since 2007-2008 in a game where Miami played Atlanta and there was a foul call on Shaq. They thought he fouled out, but it was actually five fouls on him. So they actually replayed that one. But not since then has a protest been upheld. So we'll see what happens in terms of what Adam Silver and the league office says. Speaking of Adam Silver, Adam Silver, you know, he usually gives his state of the league address right around All-Star break. So he's been talking about possibly having the expansion team in Las Vegas. Well, you got to think of it this way, guys. You have a WNBA franchise out there already. Very popular out there, doing very well, by the way. So it was seen that this is a match made in heaven. But when you talk expansion, you can't just have one team because then you'll have 31 teams. So you have to add another. Who would that other city be? Of course, my mind only goes to one place, Seattle, because you remove the franchise from there. You've heard the rumblings that, you know, it'd be nice to have a franchise go back there. So Seattle is a, a city I would consider, or I think the league would consider. With that said, let's say you add a team out of Vegas, and then you add a Seattle team. That gives you 32 teams, which means you're probably going to have to realign. Now, realignment can go one of two ways. Have a 16-16 split, so you can either go two conferences, eight teams, or you do four conferences, four teams. And then also, too, you're adding two West teams. So you're going to have to take a team out of the West that's currently there and move them over to the East. My money would be on probably the Memphis Grizzlies being the one moving to the East. That would be the natural move. And then you leave everybody else in the West. And it'll just be a matter, again, of are you doing two divisions or are you doing four divisions? It's an interesting dynamic, but I guess we can't have this conversation until we hear that, that it's official. We'll have two expansion teams. So that's a conversation for down the road. All right, so let us continue really quick. P.J. Tucker. I saw this story. I nearly fell out of my chair, guys. P.J. Tucker of the L.A. Clippers. Guys, he only played in 12 games this year so far. Not getting much minutes. About 14 minutes per game. 
He's being fined by the league $75,000 for, get this, for requesting a trade prior to the trade deadline. This happened on February 8th before the trade deadline. This is absolutely crazy. Here you have a guy buried on the bench over there with the Clippers who are doing well, who probably could use him, but apparently they're not. The prudent thing would be to either try and move him at the trade deadline or just cut him loose and let him go do a buyout and let him explore a place he can go and be helpful to another team out there. That's the right thing to do, guys. You're kind of holding him prisoner there. I don't get that. So we'll see what happens with P.J. Tucker, but he was fine, guys. 75000 Wow. <sighs> with that said, let us move on rather quickly here. After 727 starts, Clay Thompson has come off the bench for the Golden State Warriors. He did it in a road win over Utah, 140-137. to 137. In a game where he saw 28 minutes, so he saw a good amount of minutes. 35 points, guys. And he did it on 13 of 22 shooting. Hitting seven threes, guys. Wow. Six rebounds and two assists. So, I would say at this point, this is probably the best thing for Clay to do. Just come off the bench. Give the team punch off the bench. This way you let young guys like... Brandon Podzemski, you let him get in there, be with the starters, give him some confidence. You know you're probably not going to see a second contract from the Gold State Warriors. This way you can kind of showcase yourself for your next team. I say, you know, if Clay embraces this move, this probably can be the best move for him. This can probably guarantee him contract elsewhere. You're not going to get the big money that you once did, but this will at least guarantee you a second life probably somewhere else. So I say if you embrace this, Clay, kudos to you, man. I'm rooting for Clay. I think he's a future Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest shooters this league has ever seen, and he's a two-way guy. He could defend when he was healthy as well. So, All right, so with that said, two more items, then we're done. The Crispus Attics Museum in Indiana, they're going to unveil a statue for Oscar Robinson. And this will take place in 2025. Guys, this one has been long, long overdue. Oscar Robinson, and they announced this prior to, of course, the All-Star Game being in Indiana. But Oscar Robinson is probably the biggest hoop star coming out of Indiana. And remember, he played for Christmas Addicts High School, all-black school that he ended up going to, that ended up winning the state championship for Indiana. Never got the parade that they were due them because of racial hostilities. So it, this would be apropos to give him a statue. Oh, by the way, the museum is attached to that high school where Oscar Robinson played. Remember last year, too, I did a player profile on Oscar Robinson detailing what he did in high school and so forth. So I say way to go, Indiana. Way to go. Again, this was long overdue. 
This man is well deserved of that honor, and I look forward to hearing about that next year for Oscar Robinson, the big O. All right, and then the last item, congratulations to Caitlin Clark of the University of Iowa. She finally breaks the NCAA all-time women's scoring record. There was a thought she'd do it last week against Nebraska, but she was held scoreless in the fourth quarter. But she does it at home, in front of the home crowd, playing Michigan. She does it at the 7.48 mark in the first quarter versus Michigan. And of course, she pulls up from three from deep, and that shot breaks the record. So kudos to her, and she breaks Kelsey Plum's NCAA record at the time, which was 3,527 points. But folks, there's two other records that's out there that the NCAA doesn't recognize. One is Lynette Woodard, who played at the University of Kansas. This is back in the late 70s, early 80s. So this is around the AIAW time there, a little bit prior to the NCAAs for women. And her scoring record is 3,649. And then you have Pearl Moore, who went to a small college. So that's why it's not recognized. But in her time in college, she scored 4,000 and 61 points so i know caitlin clark has the ncaa records but as far as all-time women's records you have to go to these two ladies here first so there's that but congratulations to caitlin clark nonetheless this is a great accomplishment and then i gotta bring this up cheryl swoops on someone's podcast maybe a couple of weeks back you know, she was asked about the state of women's basketball, college, and so forth. She cited Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese as being phenomenal players, which they are. But she said, once they enter the W, into the WNBA, it's probably going to be a process before they are able to flourish in the game. Which is true. A lot of people thought when Sabrina Inescu entered the WNBA that she would dominate right off the top. And that didn't happen. It took her a few years. But, you know, right now she's right there amongst all stars in the league and so forth. But it took her a time or two. Same with Aja Wilson. She didn't come in and dominate the way she's doing now right away. It took her time. It took her working on her game. But it took her time. So the idea that it's going to take Caitlin Clark some time before she's able to do what she does in the WNBA, I don't think that's a far-fetched conclusion to come to, especially from somebody like Cheryl Swoops. But you have these, trying to be kind here, uh, you have these delusional Iowa fans that thinks that she's going to step into the WNBA kill it like she's doing now i i don't believe that's going to happen right away and then i see one person of course social media you see everything and the lady had a shirt on that read don't be a cheryl and i guess trying to play off the don't be a karen you know that's the latest phrase in these days so she has a shirt that says don't be a cheryl that is really disrespectful what Cheryl Swoops has done for the game of women's basketball, get a clue, lady. 
She dominated in high school, dominated in college, playing at Texas. She went and won gold medals for this country. She went into the W. The first year, she that's when she had the child, so she had to sit out. Once she came back to the league and her body was right, she dominated the league, guys. So this idea that Cheryl Swoops has no clue of what she's talking about is absurd to me. I say all that to say I believe it will take Caitlin Clark a minute or two to get acclimated with the league and so forth before she's able to be herself. And then mind you, couple that too with the fact that these ladies go overseas to hone their crafts as well. So you have to take that into regard too. So, But great things will happen for this young lady. She keeps working. She keeps doing the work. But it's not going to be overnight success. It's going to be a process. So I don't think that's talking out of turn. I don't think that's talking down about her. I think that's the reality of what it is. She's transitioning from playing young ladies to women. So that's a whole different ball game. I'll just leave it be. But all right, guys. So that is it for me. That is this episode. I'm still working on the player profile. I'll have that up and running as well. I'll work on that this weekend and try and get that content out there. All right, guys. So that is it for me. I thank you as always. All Things Basketball with GD.com is the website. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, I'm there. Leave your reviews there, guys. Like the videos on YouTube and so forth. All right. With that said, I thank you as always, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Hello, my peeps. Thank you for listening and supporting the All Things Basketball with GD podcast. You can find us on our website, allthingsbasketballwithgd.com. You could also email us at thatsportsdugd at gmail.com. Also, listen and watch us on YouTube, All Things Basketball GD. Hit the like button when you see our videos. Also, write a blurb about our show. You can listen to us on all podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple. Leave a review for us at Apple. On the website, you can support us by hitting the Buy Me a Coffee button, support on Anchor button, or donate on PayPal. You can also support us by our cash app, GD That Sports Dude. Once again, I thank you for listening and supporting the show, and do take care.